0: The final episode of season one is here. Let's do it. Welcome to Athena's Mind, a wellbeing space for the veterinary community in Ireland and beyond. We talk all things self-development, self-care, mindset and mental health with yours truly, Aoife Smith. I'm a qualified vet nurse and psychologist who is passionate about helping you to cultivate a peaceful space inside your head. This is the veterinary mental health revolution you have all been waiting for. Hit that follow button and let's get going. Hello, hello and welcome to Athena's Mind Veterinary, the podcast. As always, as always, I am your host, Aoife. How are we all doing? I hope wherever you are in the world today, you are having a beautiful day. How is this our 10th episode? How? How did that <laughs> how did that happen? Um, yeah, I can't believe there's been ten of these all together. We are taking a break after this one before season two because I have lots of fun things coming up, and I also, yeah, I just have some tricks up my sleeve that we need to you know we're gonna take five, we're gonna regroup, and then we're gonna come back bigger and better than ever, like as always, you know because that's how we roll but anyway today we are going to talk about all things empathy and how to or I suppose just a discussion on ways to protect yourself um being an empath in the caring roles that we do we it's funny because we don't talk about empathy quite a lot um in veterinary well I don't think that we do anyway um but because we're you know we're all caring people naturally so many of us are empaths and we don't know how to navigate protecting ourselves so I want to talk about my experience as an empath and always being an empath and then realizing that I was an empath I realized when I was about 18 or 19 I think and the steps that I kind of take in order to protect myself on the daily because I feel things so intensely all the time so let's clear something up um initially so we're just going to differentiate first between empathy and sympathy because they are so so often um kind of used interchangeably and people don't really know the know the difference sympathy is I like to think of it this way okay sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody seeing somebody in a bad situation and saying to that person I'm so sorry that that's what you're going through but empathy is like one step further where you can really put yourself in that person's shoes and say, I'm really sorry that that's what you're going through. But you are able to put yourself in those, that person's shoes and feel those feelings. Now, obviously you're never going to feel what somebody else feels exactly, but I like to think of it that empathy is a little bit more mindful than sympathy Sympathy is not really thinking about what it must be like to experience that bad thing. Whereas empathy, you can really consider what it would be like for you to experience that negative, you know, or yeah, negative emotional experience that that other person is going through. So empathy is just a a level up of sympathy, basically. And you can really put yourself in another person's shoes or in our case, another animal's shoes which we will get onto later. So that's the difference between the two before I launch into my chit chats and everyone ends up confused because I haven't defined either one. You can look them up. There's actually really, really deadly graphics online that illustrate the difference between sympathy and empathy. So I highly suggest that you do a little research, have a little Google and become familiar with the meaning of both because when you understand the meaning of both you'll know how to use utilize both within yourself and therefore protect yourself so there's a couple of points that I want to touch on um obviously all of this surrounds self-care and taking care of ourselves as empaths and I want to talk about the ways that I manage my self-care and manage myself in order to emotionally protect myself while being empathetic in a, p- a particular moment with somebody, be that a patient or a client. So the one thing that's really key for empaths, I feel, is unap- unapologetic self-care. Um, For women in particular, this can be a little bit difficult because we're definitely people pleasers. Um. I feel like I sort of, <laughs> I bet around the bush a little with that last week. I said, you know, oh, like maybe women are pe- no, women are people pleasers. This is what we do. There's many reasons why we're not going to dive into it now, but yeah, it's sometimes un- unapologetic self-care and un- unapologetic showing up for oneself is very difficult for women. Um, But it's such a key action when you are an, emp- an empath. Um for me personally i found that being open and vocal about my self-care has been really beneficial for a few reasons so by open and vocal i mean speaking to my colleagues about my self care on a really casual level like going into work and being like oh i did a face mask last night and had a cup of tea and it was so lovely or if somebody says how was your evening i'll say great thank you i did some journaling and i pulled some oracle cards for myself and it was really it was really gorgeous or yeah it was great thank you i took a nap or whatever i'm so open about the things that i do for myself because logically one this could inspire others to, to do the same for themselves and therefore it may create a culture or some some type of new workplace culture, which I think is very relevant with the veterinary industry. Um, you, you know, you can really create a culture of everybody taking care of themselves and it's the done thing. And, I feel like we can create, we create different types of culture within workplaces all the time. Why we don't create self-care culture, I'm very confused about. Um, I feel as though it's definitely time for us to start being more open and honest and vocal about the things that we do to take care of ourselves. Um, Again, I'm going to remind you that certain, no, self-care itself is definitely spoken about in the wider general public um, with its links to capitalism. So, of course, you know, self-care in the wider general public is always defined by paying for yoga classes, buying face masks, you know, getting like a, spending a thousand euro or more on a holiday to Bali to go and meditate in some temple or something. Like, it doesn't have to be that, you know, you can... Talk to your colleagues about how you painted your nails. Maybe don't paint your nails if you're in surgeries. But <laughs> I just realised when I said that. <laughs> but you can talk to your colleagues about things you did for yourself. Like, oh, I watched a, a YouTube makeup tutorial and I gave this this eye look a go last night. It was really fun. Or, you know, I made some TikToks with my kids and it was great. Or I did some baking and, you know, maybe you bring the baking into work. I'm sure your colleagues would love you for it. Um, maybe not during the Corona situation that we have, but, you know, yeah, like being more open and creating a self-care culture will only breed a further self-care culture, you know? I feel like what you put out into the world, you you always get back, you know? What you create on the inside you'll manage to create on the outside. As above, so below. So if you're taking care of yourself and being really open um, and beautifully vocal about how you're caring for yourself, maybe your colleagues will be inspired to do the same. And that goes for all of your circles, but obviously we're talking about veterinary practice at the moment. Um, I find as well that being open about my self care kind of holds me accountable. And, you know, if I tell someone, oh, I did a, I don't know, some mindful coloring in my mindful adult coloring book last night, or I drew some pictures, like, you know, grabbed a bit of paper and a pencil and I sketched for a while, it kind of reminds me that I need to do that thing again because it brings me back to how I felt when I did it as I'm telling the person about it. So it sort of reminds me that I need to do that again. It says, it, it you know, says to my brain, Oh yes, remember you did this thing. It felt really good. You should do that again. So it holds you accountable. What it also does is, you know, it allows yourself and your colleagues to perhaps also hold each other accountable. So you say to, you know, a colleague one day, Hey, I meditated last night. And then you go in the next day and your colleague says, Oh, did you meditate again? and you're like oh actually yeah i did and it was great or maybe you didn't and you can explore why you didn't so it holds it it allows you to hold each other accountable too in your conversations which you know solidifies your routine a little bit more um talking about your self care and the things that you do for yourself i think also helps you to solidify the habits that you want to create so talking about it brings it into your conscious awareness and brings it into the present and technically allows you to manifest that particular reality. If you're talking about it and you're talking about the fact that you do it all the time, you're going to do it all the time. Um, Manifestation is a tricky one. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone's yelling at me right now being like, I don't know how to manifest, Aoife. I don't know what you're talking about. There's so much online that you can read about manifestation. And to be honest, it's very interesting. If you're in any way science-orientated, like it's so interesting. So I can also hear people being like, sorry, what? That's a science? No way. Look it up. Decide for yourself. But yeah. um. I feel like you can definitely manifest your ideal self-care routine. This is something that I sort of look to regularly to again, keep up my routine and create a self-care routine that is so ideal for me as an individual. Um, I was doing some scripting recently actually, and this is quite a common practice within the manifestation realm where you basically write about how well this is how I do it anyway I write about how my day went um and I don't worry about the how so I for example with the self-care routine I might script um this morning I woke up at 6am um I felt really well rested and I got up and I made a beautiful and bowl of porridge with strawberries and blueberries and then I meditated for 10 minutes and I felt really amazing afterwards and I go along like this th- until I reach the point where I'm you know going to bed. It's nearly like writing in your diary to be honest about what you did that day um, and it's past tense. The key thing is though you don't worry about the how. So I just said there that I woke up at I think 6am I said oh my goodness like mornings are not my time to shine (laughs) let me just like be super clear on that mornings are not my time to shine however (laughs) they are my time to shine if I say that they are my time to shine and if I script it as such that will train my brain into thinking that this is this is me yeah mornings are my time to shine I do get up at 6am so now I've managed to, to get up a lot earlier than I used to um and now I wake wake up and I have I have my beautiful bowl of porridge and I do meditate for 10 minutes and I journal and I might go out for a walk or grab a coffee like I do all of the things that I scripted about Um, don't get me wrong of course I have lions oh my gosh of course I do But by writing about it, I've made it my reality. It's in my conscious awareness and it's there ready to kind of go forth and create the reason I don't, I say, don't worry about the how, and Georgie Stevenson gives a really good example of this. I will link her Instagram in the show notes in case you want to have a look, but she um, recently gave the example that she wanted to buy a house by the sea. So when she woke up every single morning, She, um, she did two things. So when she was scripting, she would describe her day, um, as I woke up at such and such a time and I went for a walk by the beach, but she wasn't living near the sea at this point. She was living in a city and she was nowhere near the sea, but she didn't worry about the how, and now she lives on a, like in a coastal area. Um, she also apparently when she went for her walks in the morning, her usual morning walks in the city, she listened to ocean sounds, which I just thought was a great tip. I feel like that's quite a meditative tip anyway, regardless of whether or not you want to live next to the sea. I'm definitely going to try and listen to ocean sounds on my next walk. I feel like that would be so beautiful. But yeah, scripting can be really amazing for manifesting the routine that you want. So yeah, I would recommend. After trying and testing scripting, I can confirm that it works. Um, I'm getting a little more fine-tuned with my scripting as well recently and trying some new things with it. So I'll report back if anything <laughs> anything comes to fruition. Um, hopefully, you know, sometime soon I'll get on the pod and be able to tell you guys that something wild that I never thought would ever happen has happened because i willed it into being (laughs) but um yeah in terms of my routine it's definitely worked it's definitely worked um another thing that I think is really important to remember as an empath um and another way that I sort of mindfully protect myself as an empath is that you have a big heart own it I feel like from my own experience anyway, so often we can be gaslit by people um, as people can only go as deep with you as they've gone with themselves, basically. So we can be accused of being too sensitive or too loving as if they're negative traits. And so often this type of criticism comes from people who don't have the intellectual or emotional range or both to engage and align with you. I find that that's the, the most common circumstance in which this type of criticism will arise. I feel like somebody who doesn't have the range emotionally or yeah, perhaps intellectually as well, just they, they don't have the range to align with me and feel as deeply as, as me. And also they most likely haven't gone as, gone that deep with themselves so how can they ever go that deep with me and how can they ever you know deeply understand or come to understand how just how much I can love or just how much I can feel so I feel like it's really important that we just own the fact that we can love this much I think it's amazing and it's reflected in our work every single day for me as a psychologist, for you as veterinary professionals now. um, It's reflected in our work every single day and it's something to be so proud of. And I suppose if you think about it this way, if you didn't love as much and if you didn't feel as much, would you really be that good of a veterinary professional towards your patients? Like if you were unable to feel as much as you are able to feel, would you really be there for your patients in the really full and beautiful way that you are currently there for your patients? Because I don't think you would be. Um, Likewise for myself, you know, thinking back to my own veterinary nursing days, I don't think if I was, you know, any less loving or sensitive than I am, I would have never been able to be there for my patients on the level that I was there for them. So I think that's something to be proud of. And I think that's something to own. And the next time (laughs) somebody tells you that you are too loving or too sensitive, you send them to me. I'm just kidding. I really don't know what I'm going to do. But like, you know, I'm sending you all my good vibes and turn on your heel and walk away. In my honor, <laughs> turn on your heel and walk away. Think of me, turn and leave is your instruction. Um, uh, Linked to this, I guess, or similar to this. Sometimes people also couple the you're too sensitive or you're too loving criticism alongside your, you overthink or you're overthinking this. Now, of course, I just want to say here that there can, of course, be maladaptive or unhelpful thought patterns that can happen for people um so when I say overthinking I'm not addressing any sort of maladaptive or unhelpful thought pattern that can occur within a diagnosed mental illness just want to be really clear about that um on a general level I'm talking about overthinking on a general level you know generally worrying about things or generally sort of critically thinking. And here's where I'm going with this. (laughs) Where you are critically thinking, another person will tell you you are overthinking. And again, this comes with not having the range to align or engage with you at the deep level that you have the ability to engage at. Most of the time when we're told we're overthinking something, it's because the other person does not have the range. Now, that's not to say that, you know, you're not overthinking. We can, of course, overthink in an an unhelpful way. So if, you know, that's something you're concerned about, perhaps talking to somebody would be a good idea to gauge where you're at with that. But in general, everyday scenarios, when somebody tells us that we're overthinking things, it's most likely because they do not have the range that you have to critically think about things. If you're dissecting a situation and taking apart a situation, it's because most of the time, it's because we have a very high level of critical thinking ability that that other person does not have. So, yeah. I think that's super interesting when people, you know, throw in the overthinking thing alongside, you know, we're too sensitive, we're too loving. It's most likely because they don't have the range. What I'm trying to say is, what this boils down to is own the range you have. Own that. That is something to be proud of, not something to hide or be Ashamed of. It just isn't. And I completely own the fact I am a sensitive Sally. I cry so often. Like, (laughs) you wouldn't believe I cried yesterday. Like, I'm a sensitive gal. Crying is so important. Other emotions are so important too. I feel them all. I feel all my feels. I am always all up in my feels. That's not to say that, like, Crying equals sensitivity. You know, there are other um, things that we can do and there are other physical feelings and sensations that can be, you know, encouraged by sensitivity. It doesn't have to be tears, but... Yeah, I'm such a sensitive gal and I own it now. I'm so loving also. I, I'm always fit to burst with love and I'm so proud of that. And if that resonates with you, you should be proud of that too. Um. Also, no, I don't overthink. I critically appraise. If you can't keep up with me, kind sir, please march the other direction. So the next thing I want to talk about is... um. So I worked in retail for years. So I like to call this doing a stock take. So why, by that, I mean, what is what are the, the feelings that I am taking on in any given moment? Am I taking on too much? How am I coping with what I'm feeling, what I'm taking on as such? And what can I do to emotionally protect myself in those moments? where I'm really feeling the feels for someone else. Like, what can I do for myself to look after my stock and keep the shelves real neat and tidy and organized and safe is the the main thing. And also, I like to always ask myself, am I blending what I'm taking on at work into my outside life is it's is my work life spilling into my personal life due to the fact that I'm such an empath and I always double check with myself to make sure that I'm not pulling anything any big huge feelings I'm dealing with at work into my personal life and that can be hard as empaths We take things on and they sit with us and we don't have any way sometimes of, or we don't know how to shift those feelings and process them in a really safe and healthy way. So yeah, I highly recommend doing a stock take. What do you have on your shelves? Is there anything that you can let go of? How can you let go? What can you do with that? So that's something that I do with myself all the time, basically doing a big stock take to make sure that I'm not taking on too much and that what I have taken on, I'm okay with taking on. It's really handy. Um, also, I think that another really key thing in all of this is as an empath, I'm always really careful with responding instead of reacting. So a reaction is mindless, pretty much. It's in the moment and it's almost like a knee jerk if we lack self-awareness. It doesn't really give, a reaction doesn't really give too much thought to a consequence. However, responses are mindful and they're engineered. They're carried out with a particular goal or outcome in mind. You're seeing the bigger picture. You're taking everything in around you. It's it's such a, it's a much more mindful stance to take in comparison to a reaction. Now, what this does for me as an empath is it allows me to stop, take a second and calm my nervous system down. That's really key so that I can take in every, so when I take in everything that's going on, I calm the nervous system down. I'm able to see consequences. I'm able to see you know, goals or outcomes in front of me. And I'm able to respond to whatever's happening in front of me in an engineered and mindful way. Thus allowing me to protect myself emotionally. You know, if I am standing in front of a client, for example, who has burst into tears about their pet's condition or an animal who is in, I don't know, a really critical condition responding to those situations instead of reacting allows me to just take a second to calm my nervous system breathe and also see a consequence and see an outcome in front of me instead of just blindly reacting and mindlessly reacting and then god only knows what the outcome is going to be um for you you've no control over your outcome because you've you've not been, you've not had the self-awareness or mindfulness present to think about it. So I feel like for empaths, logically, every time I mindfully choose response over reaction, I'm protecting myself basically while taking up space as an empath. I feel like there is nuance in the empathy that we feel as veterinary professionals because I feel like we can be empathetic obviously towards the client so we can feel empathy when we're within an appointment with the client but we can also feel empathy when we're with our patients but sometimes this is hard to resolve for ourselves because there's no two-way conversation with a patient. Let me actually correct myself there because it sounds like I'm saying that animals don't talk. They do talk. They just don't speak English for whatever reason. (laughs) But I would never be ignorant enough to say that animals don't talk. You and I both know that they do. So yeah, there's no kind of clear English language two-way conversation between ourselves and our patients. So, and because they're so authentic Our patients are so authentic. Animals are so authentic. They never lie. They cannot lie. So they are fully showing up as their authentic selves. So I feel like for me anyway, when I feel empathy towards such an authentic circumstance or such an authentic being, that can be really difficult to resolve because that's kind of like empathy times 10 for me. Whereas I feel like when I'm empathetic towards a client, there's, you know, the client is responding to you. They're speaking to you and there's there can be a conclusion within your interaction with a client. Whereas with your interaction with a patient, there's not necessarily a conclusion to your interaction because it's at such an authentic level. So it can be really difficult to, to not cling to those really strong feelings when we've put ourselves in our patient's shoes and we see them really suffering and we know that they're really suffering because their, you know, behavior is so honest all the time. We almost know You know, we we can nearly get into a patient's, I was going to say shoes, like what, I was going to say what animal wears shoes, but like booby billy on Instagram would highly recommend (laughs) given that page to follow because yeah, booby billy though, she is so cool. Um, but yeah, we put ourselves in the patient's position and it's, it's far more authentic and far more raw than if we put ourselves in a client's position. position that's just my experience anyway I've always found feeling empathy um alongside a patient or with a patient or for a patient was always way more intense than feeling it for a client and I just don't feel like we talk about that enough or maybe we haven't consciously made that distinction before now I don't know let me know what you think let me know if if that's something that resonates with you I wonder if we're if we're really open with our interactions with our patients and how we feel about our interactions with our patients, because I think so often we spend time talking about the patient through the client. What I mean by that is you might talk to your, your colleague about your patient, but the client is always in the back of your mind. They're always in the back of your head. It's like the client is kind of your main port of call for the patient. Whereas if you discuss with your colleague, your interaction with the actual patient, perhaps that will shift some of that emotional burden that we carry from having such an authentic and raw empathetic experience with a patient. I don't have the answers for that one just yet, but I know that it's there and I know there's a difference in the empathy that I feel towards a patient in comparison to the empathy that I feel with a client. It's totally different. And I'm talking specifically about veterinary clients, by the way, not Therapy clients. Um so there's a de there's definitely a difference there. If you know, like if this resonates with you and you know what I'm talking about, can you please DM me so we can have a chit-chat about it? Because yeah, definitely let me know what you think. And if you listen to this podcast and you don't know what I'm talking about, like turn to your colleagues and be like, here, this girl, she's talking about this this thing with empathy, and I'm confused. Does anyone else resonate with this? Like, talk to each other about it. formulate a message to me as a, as a practice. (laughs) I'm totally okay with that. Um, add me to a group chat. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't add me to a group chat. I mute them all the time. Um, gas, but yeah, um, I feel like there's definitely a difference there for sure. So they're kind of my main things that I look out for when I'm taking care of myself as an empath. I didn't dive into my actual self-care routine because I feel like if you don't have these things mindfully in place first, your self-care routine isn't going to stick. So I hope that I made sense. How is this the 10th episode of Athena's Mind Veterinary, the podcast? Like how, how did we get to 10? How did we do it? I have had the best time sitting and talking to you guys every single week. Um also complete side note the word guys hasn't left my my vocabulary just yet um or my dialogue just yet. I'm working on that. Um but yeah, I just I've had the best time. I've had the most beautiful time with you on Instagram. I'm hoping that continues. I love our community with all my heart, as I say always. Come and say hello. I'm at Athena's Mind Veterinary on Instagram. Come say hey. Come join. Um, I'm so proud of this community. I'm so proud of this community. It's just glowing right now. We're on fire and we're onto to something amazing. We're going to take a break after this episode. I will be back in your ears with season two soon. But in the meantime, stay safe. Stay your gorgeous selves. And don't forget to take care of yourselves super well. See you all soon. Thank you once again for being here for another episode of Athena's Mind Veterinary, the podcast. Come say hey on Instagram, send me a DM. I am always hanging out on there. I'm at Athena's Mind Veterinary and I'll see you soon.